0: of life, but in our spiritual journeys as well. Father, stay at the center of all of our relationships and hold us closely in you. And Father, in this church community, the community of Ivanrest Church, remind us that you are enough for us. You are enough to inspire us. May we live according to your purpose and find great joy in who you've designed us to be. Remind us that you are enough to heal us to make us a community of forgiveness and grace when we harm each other, when we disappoint each other. You are more than enough to bring us back into relationship together. Father, you are more than enough to give us a hope and a future. So encourage us, help us, remind us to put you, to put your purposes, to put your kingdom at the core of who we are as individuals, at the core of who we are together as your bride the church who you love. Help us to become who you've created us to be. Help us to become who you've designed and called us to be. And Father, we open up your word this morning to do just that. So whatever you want to say to us as individuals and as a community, may we be open to your spirits moving. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, about 158, well, not about, 158 years ago, the Republican Party was busy doing battle over who was going to be their presidential nominee. Some things never change. We keep doing it year after year, right? And, and on June 16, at 5 o'clock in the evening, they finally selected their candidate. And there was someone who was a bit of a surprise that year. Maybe you've heard of him. His name was Abraham Lincoln. He was a Republican nominee. Maybe you've heard of him. I hope you have. And and Lincoln that evening on June 16 delivered his first candidate speech to these Republican colleagues. And, and in that speech, he addressed specifically the, the burning topic, the burning issue of debate in our country of that day. He he addressed slavery. And those of you who are history buffs, and my guess is those of you who aren't even history buffs, will recognize a few of these words from his speech. Here's what he said. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half-slave and half-free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing, or all the other. The most famous line there is, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And that line especially should sound familiar to all of us because Lincoln borrowed it from somebody we're very familiar with. He borrowed it from Jesus, who said it first. All three Gospels record the story of Jesus traveling through a town, and he reaches this town, and they bring to him someone who is demon-possessed. And Jesus Cast this demon out of this individual, freeze, freeze him from, from the demon possession. And the Pharisees who were watching this, his enemies, were thinking in their head, and Jesus knew their thoughts, they, they were thinking, he must be on Satan's side, because the only way that you can cast a demon out is if you're a demon yourself, if you're Satan yourself. He's got control. And Jesus replied to them with these words. He says, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And a house divided against itself will fall. He said, I can't be on Satan's side. Satan can't be fighting against Satan. It doesn't work that way. Right? And, and Lincoln knew that Jesus' words could be applied to this country. Right? Any country at cross purposes with itself, fragmented by fighting, is in trouble. And the Apostle Paul, long before Lincoln, applied that line to the church, to this community. Paul, Paul saw his brand new baby churches that were scattered all throughout the area there. He saw them being torn apart by people who were cultivating a culture of conflict within the family of God, by people who, who were forgetting that the ultimate purpose of the church was to proclaim the life-saving and eternity-granting grace of Jesus Christ, and who instead, within these communities, were causing discord and division in the family of God. Hey, this, this culture of conflict was tearing these little churches apart, tearing them away from the, the purpose and the witness that they had. If you were here last week, maybe you remember that I challenged eight young men and women who made their profession of faith with, with Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 3, where he said, he said, You are God's field, right? And we talked about that seed of faith that God plants in us, in his field, with the hope that that faith will grow and develop and produce a harvest, right? It's it a beautiful teaching from Paul, a beautiful image of who we are. But what you may not know is that beautiful image comes out of a not-so-beautiful context. It comes out of an ugly conflict that was, that was threatening to tear the church in Corinth apart. It's the very first thing that Paul addresses in his first letter to the Corinthians. Right after giving his greetings and, and his thanksgiving for them, which is typical order of a letter in those days. First you greet, then you give a thanksgiving. The first thing he does in that letter is he begs them to be a house united. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is one of you says I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, Another I follow Cephas. Another I follow Christ. And from there, from from this recognition of this conflict and this division being cultivated in the church, Paul refocuses them in the rest of this chapter on what really matters. He says, and he says, I was called to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and so were you. And this fighting amongst themselves, he says to them, and these are his words, he says, your quarreling is emptying the cross of Christ of its power. That's pretty significant. Emptying the cross of Christ of its power. So when they choose to quarrel and fight amongst each other, they're choosing to empty the cross of its power. When we choose to cultivate conflict here, we're emptying the cross of its power to unite us, to replace judgment with grace, to offer love instead of condemnation. We're emptying the cross of its power to be a a beacon of hopefulness that attracts the lost to Jesus. When we are a community divided, we're actually working against the power and the kingdom of God. That's why Paul comes right back to this very topic in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, right? The chapter we looked at last week. The whole chapter now deals with this division going on in the congregation. Listen to how he starts the first four verses. Just listen to what he says to them. He says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? These believers, Paul says, are fighting over whose garden they're growing in. Right, they're fighting over which apostle they belong to, and Paul's message to them later on he says, "You're you're all in God's garden. There's only one garden, and it's God. You are God's field." In other words, there's a foundational underlying unity in God that must take priority over all these other things that would divide us over the dissension and division that the enemy loves to cultivate within us it is that unity that should be showing in the family of God right? when we choose discord and dissension Satan wins and God's purposes lose because a house divided against itself a church divided cannot stand. So, so what does that kind of unity look like? What should we as the family of God look like and act like? Because while our foundation is unity in Jesus Christ, it, we have to be honest and look around and say, there's a whole bunch of diversity here. <laughs> We're all unique individuals, and, and we all live out our faith from different perspectives, and there's a variety of different opinions. And if we've used our differences throughout history, we've often used those differences as an excuse to divide, as an excuse to, to quarrel and fight. In fact, division is, is really the historical foundation upon which our denomination was founded over 150 years ago. We were born out of division and dissension. Right? The discord and dissension that these early churches struggle with. is exactly what we still struggle with today. Which means the appeal that Paul gives to them is the appeal that he gives to us. He says, I appeal to you, members of Ivan Rest Church, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no division among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So how do we do that? What would it look like? Well, I think what it looks like is probably shown most clearly in Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you haven't taken out your Bibles, take them out now. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. Sadly, this church, too, was being torn apart by division. And much of this whole letter is written in the context of addressing that division and that dissension before this little family of God falls apart completely. You see, after Paul had established and then left this church in in the hands of the leadership there, an influential group called the Judaizers came in. In fact, these Judaizers were were present in almost every church in the area. And here's who the Judaizers were. The Judaizers were Jewish Christians, people who followed Jesus Christ, fellow members, fellow fellow church members, who believed that the ceremonial practices of the Old Testament were still binding in the New Testament. And so all of those, those Old Testament practices, like, like not eating certain kinds of meat and circumcision, they all needed to be followed by, by these New Testament believers. And it became a great big issue. They put their foot down and went budge. And so they were saying that if you are a Gentile believer coming into the church, that you must be circumcised or you cannot be saved. That's how firm they were. You must be circumcised or you cannot be saved. And this division was tearing the church apart. They were arguing. They were fighting with each other. In fact, this very debate, more specifically about eating meat or not, that Old Testament practice brought Peter and Paul toe-to-toe. In in Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes about how he confronted Peter in Jerusalem because, because Peter was kind of given in to them. When he was with the Judaizers, he wouldn't eat that meat, and when he wasn't with them, he would, and, and Paul went and said to him, that's hypocrisy. So even Peter and Paul kind of went toe-to-toe over this issue. And now the family of God there was going toe-to-toe. And, and, and the family of God there in Galatia and the family of God here and now must recognize and celebrate, first of all, the foundation upon which our unity is established, Paul says. Right? If Jesus came and died and rose again to set us free from the law, which is what he says he did, then salvation is truly by grace through faith alone not by our works, not by the things we do. And if that's the case, then we can't keep adding other requirements to that foundation of salvation, right? That truth alone, salvation by grace through faith is what defines you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ. That truth is the truth that we will fight for, that we will defend. That truth is what links us arm in arm and heart to heart, Everything else we can discern together, everything else we can discuss together in a spirit of grace and love. Everything else, in everything else, we model for the world a community of faith that maintains its unity while navigating its diversity well. And Paul shows the Galatians what that looks like. Right? Chapter five of, of Galatians. That chapter begins. We're not going to read the whole thing, but that chapter begins by celebrating the foundation of our unity, right? The salvation we've been freely given by Jesus, salvation by grace through faith. There aren't other requirements. Verse 6, Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And, And he ends that section with both a specific calling and a specific warning, The church. Look at verses 13 through 15. Start there. It says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So, so, so he calls them here, and he says, the calling that you have from God is to work out your differences in love. Right? Here's the command that Jesus gave. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the entire law, and that applies in these relationships too. Your calling is to work out your differences in love, and the warning is, Is that if they don't choose to do that, if they keep on biting and devouring each other, they will be destroyed. So it's into this context now, it's into this conversation that we get the second half of Galatians chapter 5, a passage that I would guess the vast majority of us are familiar with. But I'd also guess the vast majority of us never knew the context within which it was written. It's into this church in Galatia that's fighting, that's tearing at each other's throats, that's biting and devouring each other, that Paul gives this direction on how to relate to each other within the family of God. Listen to verse 16 and on. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So it's within this community that Paul calls us to live by the Spirit. Right here in these relationships with the people sitting right around you in this community is where our faith expressing itself through love should be most evident to each other and to the world around us. And Paul specifically shows these Galatian believers what living in the Spirit looks like. He shows us what our community should look like if Jesus is truly at the center. He says if we are truly God's field here, and, and the seeds of faith have been planted in the field here, then we will refuse the fruit of the sinful nature. We will not let that grow in this garden. And Paul gives us this representative list of the things that will not be a part of this community. He says, and there's some pretty specific things that, that should make us pause and reevaluate how we do community together, right? Things like that he lists, like discord, selfish ambition, dissension factions, all of these are things that he says are going to tear apart the family of God. These are the biting and devouring actions that will destroy us. And how serious should we really be about refusing to allow these attitudes and actions into our relationships together? Well, how serious does verse 24 sound? It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified The sinful nature with its passions and desires. So, if we're Jesus followers, then we're going to kill off these attitudes. We are going to execute these actions, we're going to crucify them. That's how serious Paul is about this. These are the things that Jesus brought with him to the cross. These are the things that Jesus is trying to kill off in our lives and in our community. Paul Paul can't allow them to continue in the Galatian community, and we can't allow them to continue in ours. Life by the Spirit refuses to grow the fruit of the sinful nature. Instead, Paul says, we will choose to grow the fruit of the Spirit by God's transforming power. It starts again right here in this community. Before we can live out our faith in the world around us, we need to learn to live it out in the family of God. Because remember, besides salvation by grace through faith, besides that, we don't need to agree on everything else. In fact, we won't agree on everything else. But we will deal with those differences. We will deal with those disagreements in love, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in gentleness, and in the spirit of self-control. And even if we end up agreeing to disagree, which we will do often, then our relationships move forward forward still characterized by love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control because we're living by the Spirit. Right? Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with that Spirit. What does that mean to keep in step with the Spirit? That means we go where he goes. It means we we say what he would say. It means we treat others like he would treat others. We love as he loves. We show grace to each other just as he's shown grace to us. And sometimes keeping in step with the Spirit means taking no steps at all. It means staying present. means not walking away from relationships, not walking away from challenging relationships, but instead being present and being the presence of love and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control within that relationship. As as, As long as the church has existed, there have been seeds of discord and dissension being planted in it There's been Satan's desire to tear apart the family of God, right? You see it all through the New Testament. Paul and Barnabas disagree over Mark. And Peter and Paul go toe-to-toe over over whether they can eat meat or not. And the Judaizers refuse to back down over circumcision. And we can add our own stories to that history. We've written our own chapters, haven't we? We've experienced division and discord, over staff, over over issues like women in office, Christian education, over personal offenses and hurt that have occurred within this family, within this body. We've had our differences. We still do. And God invites us. More than that, God, God commands us to walk through those differences being led by the Spirit to be individuals and to be a community that refuses to allow discord, selfish ambition, dissension, and factions to tear apart this community and instead to grow relationships of love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control in the family of God with all its diversity. We're called to walk in these relationships together in step with the Spirit. That is how we will grow the fruit of the Spirit in God's field. So Paul reminds us, we are God's field. You are God's field as individuals, as the family of God. And he's asking the Galatians, he's asking us, what kind of fruit is growing in that field? What kind of fruit are we growing together? A house divided Cannot stand And yet Jesus tells us that When we the church Are united in the truth Of Jesus Christ In the gospel truth And even the gates of hell Won't stand against us When we're walking In the spirit You know there's there's been a team together now for many years called the Next Chapter Team here at Ivan Rest Church, and one of their tasks is to discern, first of all, they did they discerned who are we called to be as the church? What is that unity that binds us together? Okay, what is the, the, the core of who we are to be as Ivan Rest Church? And lately they've been talking about, okay, wh- where do we need to focus on that unity? Where do we need to grow stronger? Where do we need to let God shape us and challenge us? And so I'm going to invite um, Paul Lanning, a member of that team, to come forward. And Paul is going to share with me, share with us. Do I see Paul here? Good, thank you. You made me nervous there for a minute, Paul. Um, Paul's going to share with us some of that unity that we want to build around uh, a common theme and a common
1: purpose for the coming years. So, Paul, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. I was talking with with Tony this morning, and in my work, uh, I get a chance to pretty regularly stand up and uh, talk about car parts. Um, And when you're talking about car parts versus people's lives, it turns out The stakes are a little bit higher when you're talking about people's lives. So, you're kind of an intimidating bunch for me here this morning. And, you know, it it made me realize how much I really appreciate uh, the staff here at Ivan Rest, you know, in the congregational meeting, listening to a couple of cool stories. And so, this is a little impromptu, but would you just join me in in thanking the staff for all that they do, including getting up here and and, uh, leading us? I, I said to Karen this morning, uh, as a newly elected elder, I'm going to uh, recommend a uh, 50% raise for the staff, effective immediately. And the, the look, of <laughs> yeah, thank you, and the look of horror on her face. You know, it was like, well, maybe I'll have to think that through a little bit more. But uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go with a 50% raise for all of our volunteers. Maybe that one's a little more palatable for our for our budget. Um, as, as Tony was mentioning, um, we've had this next chapter team going for quite a while, and. Um, our, our, our theme of growing God's kingdom through active discipleship, what we've been considering is what is, if we could do one thing, if we could focus on one thing uh, that would lead us closer towards that objective of growing God's kingdom through active discipleship, what would that be? So we've kind of landed on a, uh, I guess you could call it a theme or a focus for the next 18 to 24 months. And that is around um, how well we build relationships. Um, both inside of the church and then outside uh, in our community. And I don't want you to overthink this. This is about um, purposefully and intentionally um, just considering the people that we have in our lives, and that's all unique for every one of us, and saying, how, much, how am I intentionally developing a relationship with this person uh, to, with the objective of uh, either sharing your faith or encouraging them in their faith, if they already know Christ? And, you know, there will be some teaching and learning opportunities over the next 18 to 24 months as we introduce this theme, but I don't really want to talk about that too much. I want to share with you briefly what this means to me. Um, In our small group, we're doing a video series about evangelism. And um, if you're like me, when you hear that word, it conjures up some ideas of street corners and, you know, just a general uncomfortableness, and maybe this is just a community that I've been brought up in, but sharing your faith is uh, can be a very difficult thing. Um, my wife and I were in the airport uh, recently, and we had some time between flights, and, you know, I kind of suggested to her, let's have a contest to see who can share our faith with somebody the quickest, and it was said in sort of a flippant way, but it, it made us, like, kind of get a little nervy, and we sort of moved on to something else really quickly. It's, if, if you're like me, it's just it's very difficult. But this video series, it goes on to explain how that doesn't have to be that way. Um, if, you, if you are focused on developing uh, kind of a relationship and investing time with the people that God has placed in your life, you'll have the opportunity, if you choose to take it, um, to be able to encourage them in their faith and then also share your faith with them. So um, if that idea... Um, resonates with you and if you know as i've been talking if you've come up with somebody in your life maybe it's a family member somebody at work who you know um could needs more than could use really really needs that hope of christ that lies within us then uh you know if you're willing to accept this challenge of investing the time and and uh with that person you're thinking of, uh, creating a relationship with them, or going deeper into sometimes what can be kind of a messy or complicated situation, you know. It's tempting sometimes to think, Paul, I've got enough of my own problems and I don't need more. Um, and I would understand that, but, you know, my challenge to you is um, is that if you're serious about being able to share your faith, then this is a real avenue by which you can you can do that by developing a relationship. So that's going to be the focus for the next 18 to 24 months and like I said you'll there'll be some teaching and learning opportunities but my um, my encouragement to you is that it's got to it's got to start here with you um, if you if this has struck a chord with you and you're thinking of that person then um, I th- and if you take that challenge I think we're going to have a really neat period at Ivanrest of growth and um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing the stories of um, of how that um, develops so uh, thanks for letting me share and um, there'll be more coming soon Excellent. Thank you, Paul.
0: For a minute there, you're going to be my new favorite elder, but uh, I don't know. No, thank you. Worship team, would you come on up? With the rest of you please stand with me, please? Um,